The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. forward to getting into the Word. Now, I don't know if you can tell. I can feel it. You might not be able to, to tell, but I feel a little winded, like a little short of breath. Nothing medically wrong, just kind of been a busy morning, right? Where you feel like you need to just sit down and take a minute and... <sighs> so, I'm sure you're familiar with mornings like that. This one's a little bit unusual. It started pretty early and, and had a few activities uh, uh, had uh, a lot of help, uh, uh, Robert Ashland, uh, he and Ruby are missionaries traveling uh, through town here, always stopping at Champions, uh, uh, related to the wonderful Bill Ashland. If you don't know Bill, I promise you, you've been blessed by him. His handiwork has uh, kept Champions Church from burning to the ground for, you know, a long time now. So we're all grateful for the wonderful uh, uh, leaders and servants here. Uh, uh, called Robert at about 4.30 this morning, and he answered. And he answered, good morning, pastor, I think is what he said. And I thought, God bless you. You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's how I would answer the phone. And he was willing to get out on the highway and help out. So uh, I've had a bit of an unusual morning uh, doing some other uh, projects and things outside of the church, working with people. If you ever worked with people, you know, people don't always do what they're supposed to do or when they're supposed to do it. And things go wrong and things break. You have issues and challenges. Uh, it's just nice when they don't all happen on the same day, you know. So uh, when we got all that fixed up and was here and just thinking, God, are you speaking something? Because this is interesting to me, that all these things could have happened at any other time, but here we are, you know, it's, it's not even Saturday night now, it's Sunday morning, and, and you've got all of these things happening. I just kind of got a grin on my face and thought, it's going to be a great Sunday, yeah. you know. I mean... We've got great things going on, so much so that all these distractions are, are pulling and tugging, and, and it's a really good perspective to have. It also stirred some things in me concerning how to handle those things, and, and I thought, you know, I think I want to pull from this and bring some things to the, the service, you know. So uh, I want to apply a, a, a perspective and a way of thinking that, that I desire to live my life by. I want to share that with you this morning, and, and I want to trust that God's revealing something great to us, and as we get into the Word, hopefully you're as inspired by it as I am. Now, we, we have uh, spoken about this topic a number of times in the past, so some of the passages of Scripture that we'll use may come off a little familiar, but I want to take a perspective here based on solving problems, and, and, and I want to look at it from that angle and see if it can't be useful to all of us, because I have a feeling that we all have problems that need solving, right? challenges, issues, whatever word you want to use, there are things that are in our lives that we want to see altered or changed in a direction that would be more pleasant or more productive. And you could apply this to any part of your life. So as we get into the word here, I want to give you a few things to look forward to. Uh, they're not necessarily the only things that we'll look at, but they're things that might uh, keep you engaged or, or might pique your interest. Uh, one is what always brings victory. I love the word victory. Uh, it's a word that is a big part of my life. I think it's a, a great word to use. Uh, when you start stepping into the, the business world and, and other things, victory is a little bit of a, a strange word, right? I mean, I don't think that you, uh, you, know, you, you go to the, the bank and you sit down with your banker and say, you know, I have a business plan here and it guarantees victory. You would say, well, I got a business plan here and it really guarantees success, right? So I like using that word too. There's something in the scripture that always promises success. And, and while victory is a word that I prefer to use in my day-to-day -day life, success has more of a, a generic application covering every aspect of my living. I mean, I want to be successful raising my sons. I want to be successful in my marriage. I want to be successful in, in pastoring Champions Church. I want to be successful in my call as a Christian man. I want to be successful in these things. And, and there's an element in the scripture that always brings success. Therefore, I think we ought to examine that element and make sure that it's applied to every aspect of our life. Uh, another thing we're going to find is what Jesus is revealing to us. Now, that might sound a little bit vague, but when we get there, you'll, you'll catch it. I think it's a really important thing that could easily be overlooked in the Scripture, and we ought to make note of it. 
There's something very specific that the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is meant to reveal to us, and we need to pay very close attention to that. And then a third thing that we're going to find is why the possible is prevented. Now, not always, obviously, but there are times in my life when I know something is absolutely possible. Whether you want to say it's possible for God and God says it's possible for me, it still seems to be hung up or prevented. And there's an element that I want to look at. And I'm not saying it's exclusive to, to being the only element that could prevent wonderful things that are possible, but I definitely think it's a big one that we ought to pay attention to. So that being said, we got a lot to look forward to. I want to get into the word here. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to kick off in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. I mentioned we're going to find out what always brings success. Uh, I want to start off there, what always brings success. Uh, this is a, a wonderful promise that the scripture introduces to us that needs to be uh, embraced, it needs to be held on to, and we need to establish our thinking, our attitudes, and our actions upon such a wonderful foundation as this guaranteed success. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, I want to read verse 11. Now, setting this up for you, this is God speaking, and he's revealing this wonderful, powerful truth uh, to you and to me. In Isaiah 55 verse 11, God speaks to you, and he says this, My word, which goes from my mouth, will not return to me empty. It will not return to me without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Did you see that word succeeding there? I mean, this passage of scripture here is saying that when God sends his word into a situation, it will accomplish what it was sent to do. That's a really rich promise, is it not? I mean, I I can think of so many things in my life that I want to see success, and I think this passage of Scripture now is revealing to me what needs to be injected into that situation in order to see success. If God's word being sent into any circumstance or any situation won't return to him without accomplishing what he sent it for, that's what I want to see sent into the things that I deal with. Now, there's so many struggles and temptations to send other things. Oftentimes, when I'm faced with a problem, I want to send my word into that problem. And my word is, is not appropriate. It's, it's, it's angry, and it's bitter, and it's filled with resentments. And I've never been good at cussing. It was never my thing. It always felt weird. It's bad. It's just not good. Never been a part of my life. But I've known plenty of people that were plenty good at it for the both of us. And, and so I've seen that before where I'm thinking, That was introduced, and what did it accomplish? Well, not much. It might have made a situation go from bad to worse. And when we inject things that don't bring success into situations that do need success, we only compound the problem. But we see here in the scripture that there is an element that guarantees success. And I want want to walk in a way, I want to develop a discipline, I want to be committed to injecting that into a situation. And that's going to mean functioning in a way that's not natural for me to function in. Rather, it would be supernatural. Uh, I want to give you another passage of Scripture just to get excited about as it concerns God's Word. Same book, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. And when I look at my life, I think, you know, I think God... Is, is not a florist, right? But yet he's made beautiful creation. I don't think this is a passage about grass and flowers, but rather this is meant to, to say, hey, there are a lot of things that don't work long term. But then there is something that does bring constant or consistent or long lasting, in this case, eternal solution. And I look at my life and the things that I face and the things that I deal with and the things that I do, and I think, how much of this is grass and flowers? How much of this is just some kind of temporary fix that's not going to hold? How much of this is something that's an absolute waste? That that when I turn back around and look back at it, there's not any kind of success. And I want to step away from the things that are empty, the things that are temporary. Even if in the moment they look good or they feel good, if I know it's not going to have a long-lasting effect in a good, godly way, I start to lose interest. I don't want to inject grass and flowers. And let me tell you something. I think God might be talking about some marriage problems here. I can't fix my marriage problems with bringing my wife flowers. You know what happens when I bring her flowers? 
how much did you spend on these? <laughs> that is a catch-22, brother. I mean, like, you're, you're toast either way. Oh, man. So we look at these things in the Scripture, and I think we ought to just look at them from a real practical standpoint. God is showing us, hey, I'm providing something that brings victory. I'm providing something that brings solution. Now I'm thinking, okay, I need that thing. That thing is, is God's word. So I turn to the scripture and I start to think, well, is it memorization? Is this why we need to read the Bible? Is it uh, an academic thing? And, and I think while reading the Bible and receiving God's word from the scripture is a wonderful and excellent discipline that, yes, indeed, we are called to put to practice, I think there's more to that. Because as I read the Bible, I start to see instruction, and that instruction goes beyond reading a book. I mean, I'll give you a few passages of Scripture here as it concerns just talking to God. Now, we use the word prayer, and I think prayer is a good thing. However, prayer can make things weird. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting and thought, this is weird? I, I have been. And you know what is funny? I've been to some prayer meetings that I was pastor of the church, and I, I, I just politely wasn't rude about it, but shut them down. Don't think that this is really what we're looking for here. It's not some ritual. We're not a bunch of witches and warlocks casting spells and reciting incantations. Rather, this is relational contact with our Heavenly Father. This is a very conversational thing. Prayer should be as natural as it is a conversation between friends, right? And when you look in the scripture, you start to see that. So as we're led to the scripture, as we're instructed to read the word of God in order to know the word of God, we start to see that knowing the word of God releases these wonderful instructions that lead us to know God in new and greater ways. Very relational. Here's a few passages for you uh, out of the psalm. Psalm 119, uh, 169. That's a long psalm, right? 119, 169. It says this. Let my cry come before you, O God, and give me understanding according to your word. So I read that passage of scripture, and I think here's somebody who is looking for a response. They're not just there fulfilling some religious obligation to put in their time or, or check off their, their to-do list or get their card punched that they, they fulfilled their devotion for that day, but rather here's someone that's saying, hey, I'm submitting this need, this request, or this question, and I wait expecting your response. And it's, an, and it's a, a waiting that is filled with anticipation. I mean, the request here is to have understanding, which is more than just, you know, give me an answer, but, but let this answer make sense to me. Teach me. I want to be better when this is finished. I, I want to know more and be more experienced. I want to grow. I want to mature. Here's, here's another one from the same psalm, just one verse away. Let my prayer come before you and deliver me according to your word. So now we've taken a step past even understanding and we're talking about action. You know, I'm going to ask you for this direction. I'm going to ask you for this counsel. I'm going to ask you for this thing. And now I'm expecting this action or direction or counsel to be revealed to me so that I can do it. And so that the result can be powerful and effective. I mean, this is really uh, how, how prayer is meant to be structured. It's, it's a conversation. It's two-way. It's reciprocated communication. And oftentimes, you know, I mean, I, we, we are trained up differently through, you know, media and other things, which is a tremendous influence, by the way. But we see prayer almost like we're writing letters to someone hoping maybe one day they respond. Dear God, it's getting bad down here. Need some help. Sure love to hear from you. Your son, Preston. But that's really not how it's supposed to be. I mean, he went out of his way to rip a veil into as a sign and a testimony that he wants you to have access to him so that you can speak to him and he can speak to you. I'll give you another passage from the Psalms here. Uh, Psalm 28.1. I, I think this one's a, a really great one to take a look at. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Well, I mean... I've done some rowdy stuff as a young man, but I don't think I've ever been like, hey guys, let's go down to the pit. It doesn't sound very pleasant, right? I mean, it's not a place that you want to be, 
uh, let's try to avoid the pit, shall we? I mean, I don't think that's a good place. And what I'm seeing the psalmist say here is he's saying, I'm coming to you, God, to speak something to you. Don't be deaf to me. And then he says this, if you are silent to me, I'll become like those who go down to the pit, those who suffer, those who are without, those who are desolate, those who are captive. However you want to define the pit, fill in the blank as you see fit, it's not pretty. And the way this is written is kind of interesting because you see a gear shift here, right? The psalmist is talking. He says, when I call out to you, don't be deaf to me. And instead of saying, if you don't hear me, I'll be like those who go down the pit. But rather he shifts gears. He says, don't be deaf to me. If you don't speak to me, I'm going to be like those who suffer. The cry in this prayer, in this, in this uh, uh, supplication, if you will, is to introduce conversation that's meant to be reciprocated. I'm coming to you to speak to you, anticipating that you speak back to me. Please let your ear hear my cry, and please let my ear hear your voice. And it's here and only here where we open up the door for victory and breakthrough, where we do not become like those who go down to the pit. Rather, we become those who are delivered from the pit. It's an interesting thing to consider. Now, I want to offer a a thought here as we consider the victory of God's word and the things that that he speaks, that it's always bringing success. You can make note of some really interesting things in the life of Jesus Christ, things from the gospel that if you're not careful, you can just read right past them. But if you'll take the time and stop and the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us, we can see, wow, this now makes sense, right? Kind of like eternal life. Eternal life. I've been a Christian for years and years, and I never really understood that eternal life made sense, right? It was just always kind of like a reward. Hey, if you don't want to go to hell, be a Christian, and you'll live forever. Sounds good to me. But there's actually some mechanics behind it where it makes sense, right? I mean, like if death is the result of sin, and the blood of Jesus washes all sin away from my life, then I can't die. No wonder I'll live forever. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Well, you can see the mechanics behind several things. You can look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, and you can look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you can see that there's nothing that he's done that we would define as miraculous or supernatural that's not one or a combination of those gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed for us today. And it's pretty incredible when it starts to make sense. It makes it a little less out of reach and a little more real. The fact that these things are there for a purpose and a reason, not just there because it sounds good or makes us feel good or helps us cope with a reality that's really uh, filled with anxiety, but rather that this is how God has responded to a world that's in desperate need for security, for stability, for light. So here's one of those areas where I think you see the mechanics make sense, and and it's Jesus. You, You see the Wonderful things happening. You see, you know, miracles taking place, you know, food multiplied, people that were sick being healed, uh, devils being cast out, preaching that people like. That's a miracle, baby. I preached for a long time. You see these things and you start to think, well, what's going on? I mean, there are other people that are godly that that pray for people. Why the different result? There are other things. What's going on here? And I don't think that Jesus keeps it a secret. He's not extraterrestrial, but rather he's emptied himself of everything that would be a, a divine privilege so that he could be just like you. So that everything that he would do, he would be doing as an example for us to do. And he would talk about how it's done. Now, I'm not talking paint-by-number instructions. I'm talking about principle and, and, and the, the purpose and the reason behind it. Here's a great example. If you have your, your notes, you can take this down. Uh, you can look in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 49. It's one of several places where Jesus says the same thing, where he talks about the things that he's doing, and he makes this very clear. I don't do it on my own initiative kind of a weird thing to say. And then he goes on to explain that he says, you know, the things that I do, I do because I see God doing them. The things that I say, I say because I hear God saying them. So basically what we're getting here is Jesus is saying, hey, I'm living out my life empowered by the Holy Spirit and the results that I'm getting, I'm getting these results because I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what God wants me to do. 
I'm not saying what I want to say. I'm saying what God wants to say. Now imagine that if we were to take our blood-bought, spirit-filled, believing lives and begin to live that way. Where we don't speak the things we want to speak when we're faced with hostility, provocation, or hardship, or anything like that. Where we don't do the things we want to do. You ever wanted to punch somebody in the face? Don't do it. I mean, that's pretty elementary, right? But still, the idea of not doing what you want to do, not saying what you want to say, but rather stopping and only doing what God wants done and only saying what God wants said might produce a more godly effect, don't you think? So now it starts to make sense, and you begin to see, like, wow, this is really the Christian walk. This is the Christian life. Jesus isn't just doing this so that he can get everyone's attention, and we can all be reminded that God is real, and now we all want to be in that club. This is Jesus saying, hey, this is what your life is meant to look like. I am the apostle. I am the example for you. I only do what I see the Father doing and only speak what I hear the Father speaking as an example to you so that you can only do what you see the Father doing and only speak what you hear the Father saying. How great would our marriage be if I only spoke to you what God was speaking to you? Yeah, right? I'll do my best. I mean, how great would anything be, right? be phenomenal. I mean, the, the nonsense that I told you about that touched my morning this morning, you know, when I, when I stepped into that, there's part of me that is, is enraged and insulted. There were blatant lies that were told to, to cover up. And the reality is, man, they're scared. And I've been afraid before and I've lied before because I was afraid. Man, this little petite woman scared the heck out of me. It's very edited. I've never felt big a day in my life. My dad's 6'4", you know, and I mean, I've just never, but I've, the rumor is I'm not small, right? So this little woman, she, I was working in this shop behind the parts counter and, and the phone rings, you know, and I pick it up real busy, busy time of year, you know, the line's out the door and she says, you know, hi, I'm calling to see if you have this part in stock. We always have that part in stock. Yes, ma'am, we have that. Okay, could you set some aside for me? I'm driving in. You betcha. A couple hours later, she walks in. Hi, I'm here to pick up my parts. Okay, what were those parts? Oh, it was these. Oh, well, let me go get them. Go back in the back and guess what? Sold out, baby. They're gone. That box is empty. And I'm staring at it and I'm thinking, um, darn. <laughs> and I go back up to the counter. I'm so sorry, ma'am. We're sold out of those. Uh, I can get them on order for you, though. And she looks at me. She says, well, I called earlier and said... And, of course, I'm gracious, you know, I'm, I'm starting to sweat probably, and I'm thinking like, I understand, ma'am, that is very disappointing. I'm so sorry for that. It is a normal stock item. It's very unusual that we're out of it, but I can get them ordered for you. And then she said, I, I, I did. I, I called earlier. I, I heard you. I'm so sorry. And then she said, did I talk to you? <laughs> I looked that little woman in the eye, and fear gripped me. I mean, honestly, I could probably pick her up with one arm. That moment I was so terrified, I looked her right in the eye and said, no. <laughs> and let me tell you something, I felt the tears of Jesus raining down on me from the heavens. I felt such a deep conviction. And I, I mean, I'll tell you how I handled it, just so you don't think I'm a lying dog. You know, I mean, she went about her business and I actually ordered her parts and then some, you know, and I paid for them and I paid for them to be shipped and I wrote her a letter. You know, dear ma'am, <laughs> I did, I wrote her a letter just saying, listen, that was, that was very out of character for me, and I'm so sorry, and, and you know, in an attempt to make it right, I, I have no idea where she's at, she didn't write back, I mean, she might have gotten a letter and thought, you weirdo, you know, I mean, who knows, but I was kind of into letter writing back then, so it's probably long, it was probably like, I'm not reading that, you ever have somebody do that, you know, like, hey, check this out, you look at it, and you're like, 1,001. 1,002, 1,003. Yeah, that's interesting, you know. How long do I need to stare at this? But, you know, these guys, they're scared, and so they're lying, and, and you, you know, that lie produces this provocation, and you want to just, you know, flex a little bit, and maybe that needs to happen, but perhaps God's doing something different, right? Maybe, and I'm not saying always, but maybe that's a moment for an element of mercy to be introduced, a, a kindness to be introduced that can lead to repentance. I mean, perhaps there's something 
that, that God knows that I don't know. Hmm, imagine that, right? There's more going on than I'm aware of. And just think about how living life with that in mind could, could change things. To think you see way past what I see. And you know what I feel right now. And yet, I need to pause and not release this flood of reaction to this situation, but I need to hear your response. Reaction being this kind of like thing that, that reciprocates, right? Science would tell us that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? I mean, basically, you punch me, I punch you back, right? That's basically kind of what it is. You cuss me, I cuss you back. And before you know it, we're all in sin. But somebody has to stop this cycle, and that someone is us. We're the believers. We're the saints. We've been empowered by the Holy Ghost for all that nonsense to stop right here. Even though that provocation is pushing and shoving and trying to draw that reaction out, I have the power, praise God, through Jesus and the presence of the Holy Ghost, to not react but to respond, and to respond with what God would do, or to respond with what God would say. Now this, by definition, is something that I think is really uh, powerful, and you'll see it in the scripture. By definition, I believe this is prophecy. Now, we were raised up in church where prophecy is kind of predicting the future and things like that, and it has other elements to it, but let me give you a definition of the word prophecy here, and, and I want to, uh, to offer this to you from the most holy book of Webster's, and we will uh, we'll build off of that. Prophecy or to prophesy, so to speak, which is the act of releasing prophecy, uh, to make inspired declarations of what's to come. Well, that's one of those definitions that we'd be familiar with, right? I mean, uh, the same way that the Scripture prophesies the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and that takes place and is a sign and a wonder, that's a wonderful thing. But we keep reading the definition because it's got more depth than that. Uh, to speak as a mediator between God and mankind. Well, there we go. Now we're getting somewhere, right? I kind of feel like Jesus did that for me, that he came and offered himself to be mediation between me and God, that he has spoken into my life and, and revealed truth to me that has changed me forever and brought about this reconciliation between me and my heavenly father. And then I like this third definition, and this is the one that we've talked about before, and this is the one I want us to talk about today because I think this is the one that can be applied to everyday living and produce wonderful results. I think this is the one that Jesus is talking about when he says, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. To prophesy, to reveal the will or message of God. To reveal the will or the message of God. Now, if my life became devoted to revealing the will of God into every situation, I think that would be a, a wonderful thing. If in every conversation when there was provocation, every time somebody were to try to draw out a reaction that would be violent or angry or, or, or resentful or sarcastic, and, and by the way, sarcasm is something that we've been groomed into through uh, sitcoms and, and television. I mean, it's really cheap comedy, but yet now it's a part of our lives in, in a way that it's never really been in the past. It's really thick, but it's really bad. And if we can, can get away from those things and begin to reveal the will of God into the situations that we face, reveal the will of God into the circumstances that we deal with, I think that we're going to like the results. And I, I want that to be a part of my life. I mean, I think that this is interesting to talk about prophesying, to talk about, you know, getting into prayer, to find out what God is saying, not for the purpose of just increasing my Bible IQ, but for the purpose of being equipped to release his will into the situations that I face and deal with. I want to be able to speak the things that he's speaking. I want to be able to do the things that he's doing. I want my life to reveal his will through my words and my actions. And really, when it comes down to it, this is who Jesus is. I mean, you heard him say himself that, that he doesn't do out of his own initiative. He doesn't speak out of his own initiative. But I want to give you another passage of Scripture that I think is awesome. And it comes from the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 10. Revelation 19, verse 10. A little obscure passage of Scripture that will change your life forever. Isn't it funny how that works? Revelation 19, verse 10. 
Here's, here's how it reads for our application today. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, if we're not careful, it just sounds like a riddle to us. We can read that and think, ooh, hopefully one day I'll understand that. Well, let's let that day be today, shall we? That Jesus' testimony, the story of his life, is that he walks in the spirit of prophecy, not speaking what he wants to speak, but rather speaking what God says, not doing what he wants to do, but rather doing what God wants him to do. You know, the Bible says Jesus was tempted with every temptation. You know, it's not a temptation unless you want to do it. That means he didn't do what he wanted to do, but he did what God wanted. You want to know the best example I have for that? Bluebell ice cream. Man, I'd walk across a, 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 a campfire to get bluebell ice cream. I mean, you throw thumbtacks on the floor and put me barefoot, and I will, I will make it to that bluebell. I will tough it out, baby. But you offer it to my wife, she couldn't care less. There's no sweet tooth, right? You want to saute some onions or something, she might be into that. I mean, who wants that, right? There's a reason why there's not sautéed onion bluebell, because it's nasty. Yeah. Millennium Crunch, baby, that's the one. Can I get an amen? But that's it, though, because, I mean, the only reason why it's even temptation for me is because I like it and I want it, Right? So the idea that Jesus was tempted with every temptation isn't some pious thing that he says just to make us feel better, like, oh, I'm tempted with everything that you've been tempted with, but I didn't want it, so it didn't matter. Not many wanted it, that he was drawn to it, that he had the same appetites in his body that I have in mine, but yet he wasn't ruled by those appetites, which means it's possible for me too. Praise God. Pretty awesome, right? And I love it when all that stuff starts to make sense and you start to see why these things are in the Scripture. Not just so that we set a bar that we can't reach, but so that we see that God's given us everything we need to live this life that He's called us to live. And that there's, there's ways that we, we live according to His Word to see these things come to pass. We're going to get to one of those in a moment. But Revelation 19.10, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It means Jesus' life story, his whole existence is the spirit of prophecy, revealing the will of God with his life, not revealing his own will. If I reveal my own will, it's probably going to be really angry. If I reveal my own will, it might be filled with all kinds of destruction and violence and lust. But if I reveal God's will, if I live out my life in the spirit of prophecy, revealing the will of God, it's going to be something altogether more divine. And therefore, we ought to expect divine results. I mean, do you think that's pretty cool? I really do. I get fired up. Sometimes I think I'm going to listen to this message online. You got to love it. Now, there's an area of Scripture here that I think reveals uh, the, this, this prophecy, and we've, we've talked about it before, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I want to give it to you because if you haven't been around before in any of the messages where we might have touched on it, it's just a really great example, and I think it's fantastic, and it comes from the book of Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm, I'm going to ask for the liberty to paraphrase a little bit so that we don't get hung up in, in long readings because you'll realize how illiterate I actually am if I sit and read word for word and line for line, and it might get in the way. But, but what you see here in Ezekiel is you see the power of prophesying. And I don't think that this is something that is just by coincidence that it's in the Scripture. I mean, God went out of his way to produce this encounter and see to it that it was recorded, that it was printed, and that it was available to sit in your lap right now as an example for you. So God takes Ezekiel and he takes him to a place, is what you'll see here. And this place has an issue, it has a problem, it has a challenge. This issue is, is that, that there's a lot of death. And I mean, it's, it's the most absolute example that can possibly be given. And it's not only death, but it's old death. I mean, you have dry bones. You're looking at a situation that by the world standards is absolutely hopeless. And God looks to Ezekiel and he asks him a question. And I love Ezekiel's answer. It sounds like how I would probably answer it. Where you can kind of, you know, not know but then still sound kind of smart, you know, where you kind of dodge looking like an idiot. I do that a lot, by the way. 
But in this case, God takes Ezekiel and he shows him this issue. He shows him this, this state of absolute hopelessness. And he asks him, hey, Ezekiel, maybe they were real close. And he's like, hey, Zeke, can these bones live again? And I love his answer. He says this, and this is, if you ever don't know the answer that God's asking you, this is a great one to keep in your pocket. Oh, Lord, only you know. <laughs> I wish I would have had that in high school. Oh, mighty teacher, only you know the answer to that. <laughs> but then God gives him instruction, and that's what's really cool, that God's not flexing. He's not showing off. He's not just saying, now watch the power of the Lord your God. Behold life. He says, I want you to talk to them. I want you to prophesy to them. I want you to reveal to them my will. Though it appears hopeless by all accounts on the outside, I want you to go and I want you to reveal my will for this situation. And here's what my will is. Go to them and say, come together. Go to them and say, rise up. Go to them and say, let muscle be formed on these dry bones. Go to them and say, let skin be formed. Go to them and say these things. And so Ezekiel goes and reveals the will of God. And something really awesome happens. And I do want to read this because I think you've got to see the word. In verse 7, it says, So I prophesied. Oh, man, let that be my testimony. I'm not big on tattoos, but if I were going to get one, I might get so I prophesied. And hopefully they spell it right. <laughs> All right, so we're back to it. So I prophesied. As I was commanded, there's some really awesome stuff. You could soak on that for the rest of our time. So I said what God told me to say is basically what's being revealed here. In the midst of this hopeless situation, I didn't say what I wanted to say because what I wanted to say is never going to happen. But rather, I went and I said what God said. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And then it says this, and there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And, you know, you could begin to animate this. And, and it's, it's so visual, if you were to read this, that the animation would be powerful. To hear the, the rattling, you know, of the bones as they began to come together. And the, the formation of the muscles and everything that would be taking place. But there's something about this that I, I can't get past. And it's the, so uh, I, I prophesied as I commanded. And there was a noise. And behold, there was rattling. There was a noise. And behold, there was rattling. One, there was a noise. Two, there was rattling. That word noise there is, is translated for readability. You want to know the literal meaning of that word? And behold, there was a voice. There's so many problems and circumstances and situations that we face that look hopeless and God has a plan for those things. As we engage with God regarding that plan and are released by the Spirit of God to begin to reveal His will to that situation, it is in that moment when we speak that behold, there's a voice. And then a rattle. I think sometimes in our life we don't get the rattling because there's no voice. And I want my voice to be released. I want my voice to be just like Jesus. I want to say what I hear God saying, which means, first of all, I need to hear him speak. Secondly, I need to have the courage, the strength, the faith, the trust to go and speak and release that voice into that situation. And then it, again, you know, the, as the rattling takes place, the bones come together, the, the muscle forms, the skin forms, and you have this, this uh, group that, that no longer is in a situation that was as, as perilous as it was before, as hopeless as it was before, but yet it's still lifeless and God comes and speaks again. And he tells Ezekiel, now go and say this. Go and say, let breath enter in. You know, and he begins to prophesy and speak. And again, I know I'm paraphrasing, but you get the point. When Ezekiel then stands, once again, so I prophesied just as I was commanded. He speaks that thing which God was speaking and <gasps> the breath comes in. And behold, living and standing, a great army. Rising from what was dust. What was hopeless, now something that is powerful and courageous and destined to do great things. All because there was a voice. And don't mistake a noise for a voice. There are a few 
times I've scratched out words in my Bible and written in the literal translation because I think the literal translation, even though some people might think is weird, is right. And in this case, it's very much right. There are things that we have been equipped to bring a voice into, and if we remain silent, we ought not to expect anything to happen. But if we can be like Ezekiel, and our lives be defined by the word, so I prophesied as I was commanded, oh, I think we can expect great things. There are times I've walked through this church building, and the church has a, a, a rich history of wonderful things, and then uh, things that were... were uh, hard to walk through and I'll just walk past these chairs because I know that there's destiny I'll put my hands on them I'll release my voice the whole life let life enter into the house of God the zeal for the house of the Lord will accomplish this I mean, you just begin to speak those things and you know that you're in the right you know that you're revealing God's will you're in the midst of his calling and when that voice is released the will of God is revealed, and we ought to expect wonderful and divine results. I want to share with you a couple of thoughts on this, and then we're, we're going to wrap up here. I want to give you some things that can get in the way of this, okay? I think there, there's the inspirational part. There's maybe the part where you hear that and you think, wow, that's a really cool message. I, I want to bring that into my life. And now here's some real practical things. Not necessarily to, to bring this into your life, but to keep it from being prevented. Because it is Jesus, it's the Holy Ghost that brings this into your life. Choices and decisions that we make every single day are what either release this or restrict this. And I want to give you some things that we can examine ourselves to see to it that we don't restrict revealing the will of God, that spirit of prophecy that is the testimony of Jesus, but that we release it. Here's, here's one of them. Uh, I'm going to give the three of these. Now, this isn't absolute. You could probably make a list a mile long, but these are some that I think are pretty uh, uh, interesting and, and worth knowing. One's going to be idolatry. Now, idolatry is nasty business, but it's really easy to fall into. I mean, it's just getting your priorities out of whack. Uh, sometimes when we think of idolatry, we can't help but picture, you know, the Indiana Jones and the golden statues and all of these things. But the reality is even great things that God has placed in our life can be misplaced on the list of priorities and become a source of idolatry. It's very destructive, just the same. We don't all need to put on loincloths. In fact, we shouldn't, okay? So if you take notes, no loincloths, okay? And, and, you know, dance around a golden statue to have idolatry. Idolatry is nasty business, and here's why. I want to give you a passage of scripture from the Psalms. I, this is on like a top ten list of scriptures for me, and I don't know why. I think I've just always been intrigued by it, maybe because I've seen the dangers of idolatry in my own life. Uh, this is a, a, a passage of scripture from the Psalms. It comes from Psalm 115, and, and it reads like this. Idols, they have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. It goes on to give the rest of this, this list. They have hands, but they can't feel, and feet, and they can't move. I mean, you'll go through all of these senses, and yet you'll see that none of it actually works. And then this passage of Scripture closes with this, and this is really where the rubber meets the road. And it says, those who make them will become like them, along with everyone who trusts in them. Which means when idolatry comes into my life, I become one that has ears but can't hear have eyes but I can't see. Now it starts to make sense to me that Jesus would stand and he would teach and he would say, hey, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Let the one who's not going to put anything idolatrous before their father, their heavenly father, receive this word and be transformed by it. Idolatry can hinder us from receiving the word of God, hearing the word of God, seeing the things that God is doing. And therefore, it can prevent us from revealing those things by speaking what he says. How can you speak what he says if you can't hear him? How can you do what you see him doing if you can't see him? It's something that I would introduce into my prayer life. Father, search my heart for idolatry. Let it be revealed. Let it be uncovered. And, and let me uh, have the, the strength and the courage and, and the, the wisdom to cast down those things that are idolatrous in my life. Let my eyes be open to see clearly the things that you're doing. Let my ears be open and attentive to the words that you're speaking. And let my mouth be loosed to speak the wonders of your truth. Search my heart for idols. There's other things, too, that can prevent. Uh, uh, here's one for you. 
This one's pretty straightforward, but I think it's touched us all at some point. Rebellion. Just blatant rebellion. There's a a passage of scripture that I want to share with you that contains the following. It says, if you will not listen to the voice of your Lord, but rather you rebel against his voice, the hand of the Lord will not be for you, rather against you. And when you're looking at a passage of scripture like that, I think you have to wrap your mind around who God is. He's not insecure. He's not mad that you're not listening to him, so he's going to make you pay. But rather, this is the cause and effect. When we're in the midst of moving in the direction that God is moving, we are are moving with him. And when we are in the midst of moving against the direction that God is moving, then we are against him. It's pretty simple. And that rebellion that can enter into our lives, when we know that God has called us to do things and yet we choose not to do them, can be a hindrance to us living that life of prophecy, revealing his will. This has happened in my life a lot, where I've known what I needed to do, but whether I was cowardly or whether I was weak, whether I was vindictive and angry, I chose to do my own way. It's very destructive. We need to be a people free from idolatry, free from rebellion, And then I want to give you this last one as we close. And I told you before, it was we were going through our our lists of things that we were going to find, you know. One of those things was what always succeeds. That's the word of God. What Jesus is showing us, he's showing us that he's the spirit of prophecy, his whole life, his whole testimony. And then this third thing that we were going to find is, is what, you know, keeps the possible from happening in our lives, what prevents the things that are possible. I mean, God himself spoke that all things are possible. I want to look at a passage of scripture here because I think as we begin to reveal the will of God, this can get into the way. I'll give you a, a passage of scripture here for, uh, uh, for your notes, and it's going to be a little bit of a foundation, a little bit of an example. The foundation is going to be from Matthew 17.20. Now, in Matthew 17.20, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, you will say to this mountain, move from here and go there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. I'm going to say that again because I think it's worth saying. Uh, Jesus says, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. When you look at that passage of scripture, there's things that are really worth noticing. I mean, one, that nothing's going to be impossible to you, right? It doesn't say nothing's impossible for God. I can easily wrap my mind around that, right? It's no problem for me to to amen that doctrinal statement, that everything's possible for God. But if you start saying nothing's impossible for me, my brain hits a brick wall. But there's something about this passage of Scripture that really needs to be uh, given attention. Because there's all kinds of, of challenges in my life where I need to see something change. I need to see something move. And I've spent my, my life uh, uh, praying and asking God to do things and, and surrendering. Father, please take this out of my life. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I need this gone. And I realized something one day. I realized um, that there was a, a little bit of misdirection taking place there. There are a few things that were going to hinder this life of, of prophesying and life of prophecy. That first one was idolatry. That next one was rebellion. I have this, this third one, this last one, listed as misdirection. And, and I think it's because we end up handling our, our problems and situations running to God rather than facing our challenges or, or operating in a way that we've been equipped to operate. And I think it's important to take a note and, and look at that. I, I see it in the book of Exodus, and I want to offer this to you as an example, and we'll, we'll close with that explanation. Exodus, around chapter 14, somewhere early on in 14, the first you know, 15 to 20 verses there, you're going to see the people of Israel, and, and they're in a situation where there's a problem, right? So really and truly, this is more and more looking like my life. People of Israel, they've been released from slavery. Well, I'm born again, free from captivity. On my way and walking toward the promises of God fulfilled in my life. And then they run into a problem. That problem is the, the, the ocean that's in front of them that they can't cross. And then to magnify this issue, there's danger now involved because their enemy is closing in on them. 
And so you have now this situation that is not only a frustration and a delay, but now it's perilous. And, and in this situation, people began to, to wonder, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And, and Moses turns and he says something as he's, he's identifying that, you know, God is going to do this and God is going to do that. And then God says something to Moses and it kind of makes me grin a little bit because God has spoken the same principle to me. He says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? That kind of just sucks all the warm and fuzzy out of the room, doesn't it? It's like I'm in a really desperate situation. Listen, I gave up a life of luxury over there. I was prince back there. These people hate my guts. They think I've got agendas every other day. They're trying to boot me out. I'm here busting it to try to do what you told me to do. Now, I need some help here. And he's like, why are you crying out to me? And then he says, tell them what to do. Tell them to move. Move forward. And I take this passage of scripture, and, and because, you know, you can, you can get uh, familiar with the heart of God, and you know that there's no uh, a sarcasm in this, that there's no uh, humiliation attached to this, rather it's loving instruction. He's basically revealing, hey, you got the direction wrong here. You shouldn't be talking to me, right? You should be talking to your problem. Your problem is they quit moving. Now, talking to me about your problem is, is only going to just, you know, delay the solution. But start talking to your problem. Now, that's no longer misdirection, but our direction is right on. And, and I've applied this to my life, and honestly, I've gotten some pretty amazing results. Now, I want to offer it to you as something that you can take at face value, and, and I trust and believe that you'll have a similar experience that I did. But I began to realize that I go to God and I talk about my mountains, and he's instructed me to go talk to my mountains. I'll sit in prayer and talk about my problems to God all day long. Well, I've got this and that, and we've got to see this and why. Oh, Lord, you know I'm doing your will. I'm here because I love you, and I'm living this way for you and for your glory, for your namesake, to let these things. And I sometimes feel like Moses were like, why are you talking to me about that? Go talk to your problem. The scripture says you'll speak to the mountain and the mountain will move. And oftentimes we go to God to talk about our mountains and he will remind us lovingly, why are you coming to me? Go talk to your problem. I got news for you. I mean, I'm a little nutty. I have no problem admitting I'm a little bit on the weird side. I talk to things. I talk to problems. I talk to things like addiction. I talk to things like rebellion. I talk to things like lust. I talk to those things. And I tell them to move. I try to help people that I work with and that I'm surrounded by. And if all I do is go and talk to God about their problems and I never talk to their problems, probably shouldn't expect many mountains to be moved. But I have no problem now addressing the actual problem itself, speaking directly to the mountain, knowing that I'm revealing to that mountain the will of God, that I'm going to be just like Jesus and let my life be uh, the spirit of prophecy that I will reveal the will of God to that situation. And rather than go to God, dear God, please help this person, which is not a bad prayer to pray, I will go to the mountain and I'll say, addiction, be moved. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God said it, and now I'm revealing it to you. The one that the Son has set free is free indeed. God said it, and I'm revealing his will to you. Talk to the mountain. And you know what? I remember the first time I ever did it, I felt so weird. Almost like maybe the first time you ever lift your hands in church or something, and you feel like heaven ripped open, like we had a real breakthrough today. Hallelujah. Those firsts are, are so odd and awkward and difficult, but then when you begin to see the liberty and the freedom and the release of the power and the anointing that comes with it and doing the things God's way, it just becomes so natural to be supernatural. And what once felt a little bit awkward to speak out loud to stuff that I couldn't see, now, man, if you pull up to me at a stoplight, you're going to think I'm a crazy man because I'm talking and there's nobody in the passenger seat. I'm talking to things and I'm telling them what to do. I'm revealing the will of God. 
And we've been equipped to do that for victory. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I don't mind being a little bit nutty. I think the word of God says that we're called to be a peculiar people. Some of us are more peculiar than others. I'm okay with that. The reason I would have the courage to share that with you is because I got really great results. And the reason why I'd be willing to share that with you is because I believe that it's the truth. I think that if God wanted us to just pray about our problems, he would have said that. Pray about your mountains and they'll be moved. They told us to speak to them. And it makes perfect sense to me when he's revealed to me how I'm called to live my life. To find out what his will is for that situation. And then prophesy. Release that truth. Reveal his will to the circumstance. To the situation. That's the kind of Christianity I want to live. I want to just get my card punched. Hey, I attend a church this Sunday. I'm good for three more weeks now. But I want there to be a change when I open up the scripture where I feel more equipped and more enabled to do great things. I I want there to be a relationship that's growing in depth and and contact and connection and chemistry, developing good chemistry with God. You should have met me 20 years ago when I was a new believer. Man, I was stiff as a board. And then you get a little chemistry working where you can laugh about things. I remember praying about something and my brain was just off in left field. I wasn't giving God the attention that he deserved. And I prayed something that ended up being really blasphemous. And I was able to laugh about it. And just think, you know what? I'm so sorry. I'm not going to multitask here. I'm going to stop and, and focus on talking to you. I mean, if I'd have done that to my wife, I might have gotten the frying pan, Right? But I think there's things that we're encouraged in the scripture to do and it's grow and it's mature. And I hope that this morning, even if we read passages of scripture that we've read before, I hope that there's an open door in your heart and in your mind for growth and maturity to take place. I want to live my life just like Jesus. I hope that when someone describes my life, they would say Preston's testimony is the spirit of prophecy. I hope they say it about you. That you lived out your life Seeing what God was doing, and that's what you did. Hearing what God was saying, and that's what you said. Living out our lives, speaking to the mountains instead of just complaining about them. And getting really awesome results. I want to pray. I want to ask God to do this work on our behalf. We're going to dismiss. I'm sorry to go so long, but it's a, I think it's a really worth it this morning. There where you're at, I want you to, to simply be in a state of agreement or receiving however you choose to posture yourself. But I want to pray and ask God to do a, a wonderful work in our hearts and minds concerning this word. Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for the wonders that you would reveal to us in your word, the riches and the depth that you would bring to life in our hearts and in our minds. And let that life not end here and now at the amen but let there be a a continuation and a hunger and an appetite formed to see these things become part of our being, uh, that we would uh, live out our lives growing in the things of your kingdom and in your word. Let our lives truly be just like Jesus, that our testimony would be the spirit of prophecy. Open our eyes to see the things you're doing so that we can do those things. And let our ears be opened up to hear your voice so we can speak your words. Let us not do and speak from our own initiative, but let us be just like our King and do and speak what we see you doing and hear you speaking. And let the results be divine. As we reveal your will to this world, let your will come to pass as you've promised. Your word will not return void. It will not return without success. And let us release heavenly success into this world with every action we perform in agreement with your will, every word that we speak in agreement with your truth. Victory. We rejoice in you. We give you thanks that you've made a way for this victory, not only to be available to our lives, but to be released through our lives. And let it be so that we would celebrate your goodness in every aspect of our living and that we would be a source for your goodness to those around us. We give you thanks and rejoice in you, that you would do these works in our lives for your glory.
We bless your name and we thank you in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.